You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Genesis chapter 29. We're coming tonight. Uh, we covered chapters 1 through 11 about a year and a half ago. We began that with covering uh, the topic of creation and the beginnings. Um, then we've we took a break and we came back, picked up in chapter 11 and began talking about the patriarchs. That's where we're at now, but we're getting close. Uh, we're, we're still a few weeks away from it. We're getting close to the end of the patriarchs and we will come to the tribes. But today we see the birth of the tribes. Um, we're going to take a break when we're kind of done with the patriarchs. It's not There's not a clear cut line, but we'll take a break at the end of the patriarchs. And then we'll come back and cover the tribes of Israel um, in another series um, down the road a little bit. Now, Jacob went to, if you remember last time, Jacob went to Haran to find a wife, and he ended up with two. And he also ended up with a 14-year contract worth zero dollars, um, which isn't a very good contract. But it didn't matter to him because he got what he was there for, and that was he got the wife that he wanted. Now, it took two, seven-year um, commitments before he finally uh, got the wife that he had come there for, the one that he loved. And so we see, and we will see, continue to see, the jealousy and the tension between these sisters because of uh, them being the wife, the wives of the same husband. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end also. Now, uh, look at Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. The Bible says, i got to get to that page. The Bible says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated... Now, we, we've talked about this before. That doesn't mean that Jacob hated Leah. It doesn't mean that in, our, in the sense we think of it means that he did not value her, he did not treasure her, he did not uh, favor her as much as, as he did his other wife or the, his, her sister, Rachel. So it says here that when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So we have two sisters. One it seems as though maybe they were both uh, barren at the very beginning, but the Lord uh, opened up the womb of Leah, and, but, the, but the womb of Rachel was barren. Verse 32, and Leah conceived... And bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again, and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, and he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And when she conceived again, and bare a son, now this time, and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. So here in these first, this part of the, the end of chapter 29, we see Lacob, I'm sorry, Leah gives Jacob some sons. Um, now you're going to see as we go through this, we're going to, I'm going to give you the definitions or the meanings of the names of each of the sons that are born. Um, we don't think much about that in today's day. We don't think much about name meanings. Maybe when you were naming your children, you, you said, oh, I like this name. Let's make sure it doesn't mean something horrible. And you looked it up in a baby book to see. Or maybe you did like the, the meaning of the name. But uh, for the most part, we don't think about that. But they, when they named their babies, especially these ladies here, when they named their children, they named them names of, of substance that meant something to them. So... We see, you know, really we see here, we saw this last week, polygamy. We saw the beginning of that. And I, had, I was typing my notes and I, I typed, polygamy doesn't age well. And then I thought to myself, actually, polygamy doesn't begin well, right? It's never a good thing. 
Why? Because it's, a, it's against the design of God. You say, Pastor, we know this. Why, why, have, you, why have you talked about this twice? Um, there, is a, there is a growing uh, movement of people trying to change marriage, not just what we think of, not just uh, away from the tradition, or the, I'm sorry, the design of God that it's man, one man, one woman for a lifetime. It's not just that they're trying to change the genders or that kind of thing. There is a movement um, in our world of people saying, well, God blesses and God loves polygamy. Now, God designed man to love a woman and vice versa. But he also designed that woman to be the only love of that man's life. As long as she's alive, she's to be the only love that he has uh, in that way. Now, because of this, one wife is going to get favored. And one wife is not going to get favored. Uh, Or they're both going to be hated, right? But uh, it's impossible... For a man to truly love a woman the way that God commanded and also love another woman the same way. He just simply can't do that because you can't put one person first. You can't say, I'm going to put this person first and not love someone less. And you can't put two people first. It's impossible, right? So in your your walk with God, you can't put God and something else as first. It has to be God or something else. Now, someone is then going to be favored. Now, it's not this way. With children, you can love your children equally because it's a different relationship that God designed. You can love your parents the same. You can love your friends the same. But it is true with marriage that it has to be one man, one woman for a lifetime. And so God had kept here, we read in verse 31, God had kept Rachel's womb closed, meaning she's not able to bear children like Leah was. That was a purposeful action by God. This was not an accident. It wasn't that God... Uh, God was like, huh, what should I do here? Um, oh, look at that. She's barren, and he was surprised by it. That's not what happens. Leah was hated, or she was favored far less by Rachel uh, than Rachel by their husband. And so God gives her a son in verse 32. We're going to come back to his name in just a moment, but Leah saw this as an opportunity to gain her husband's favor. The Bible says, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And so she knew that she was not first place in her husband's life. And she thought, man, if I could just have a child, that will fix everything. And we know people do that today. Our marriage is struggling. Let's have children. That will somehow fix it. And it doesn't work that way. Now, the the Lord looked at her affliction and opened her womb. The name Reuben means see the sun. Maybe she was showing off to people. Maybe she was trying to show... Especially Rachel, look what God's doing for me. And if God, if God blessed her, shouldn't her husband see her with affection and favor? Right? That's, that's how she felt. God's blessing me, so now he needs to look at me and see that I'm the one that God is blessing. But more likely, and I think the reason that the name was chosen, the name Reuben, was that God had seen, in her, seen her in her affliction and he gave her a son. So the name, meaning God has seen or see the son... Is that God saw her, he saw her, saw her in her affliction, and he gave her a son. Then, in verse 33, she bare another son, she bore another son. Um, his name was Simeon, it means heard. And so it says there that she felt that the Lord had heard. Um, God had heard that I was hated. So not only did he, she feel that he had seen, but then he had heard that she was hated. And, uh, and so she named her son Simeon. Verse 34, Levi is born. Levi means joined. Now she hoped that this one would make her number one in her husband's eyes. It says, 
In verse 34, she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Now in that day, in that culture, to bear a son or to have a son was looked at as a positive thing. It was looked at something as that was praiseworthy in a woman if she was able to give her husband the son. Uh, and so she had hoped that this would bind her, that her, that her husband would be joined to her. Uh, she knew that, yes, they were joined in some sort of unbiblical marriage, but she knew that his heart was not joined to her. So she thought, now, okay, now I've given him three sons. Certainly uh, he's going to be joined to me. Three certainly is going to do the job, right? Well, it didn't. So in verse 35, she conceived again. And bear a son and said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. And so she has number four, and Rebecca has zero. So if you're counting the score, it's four to zero at this point, and the competition isn't even close. Now, the name Judah means praise, and, and that was all. That was all that she would have for now. No more children for now, but she's got a pretty good start on the competition, if it's a competition. Is it supposed to be a competition? No. Was it a competition? Absolutely it was with these ladies. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to point something out about Leah. I think, at least this is me, and you could, you could judge yourself uh, for this, but I think I looked at Leah, and I've always looked at Leah kind of the, the way Joseph, uh, Jacob did. She's second. She's not as important. She's not as pretty. She's not as young. There's, she's not as appealing. She wasn't as appealing for him. And, and maybe if, if her dad, Laban, had not fooled Jacob, maybe she would have never been married. Maybe that's what it took. Maybe tender-eyed was the Bible's nice way of saying she was not anything that any man would ever want. I don't, I don't know that that's the case, but we just simply aren't told. And so maybe she would have never been married. But yet what we have in Leah is a woman looking to the wrong things to find value. Uh, she's probably no different than Rachel this way. It's just that Rachel had the things that were going to bring value, that, that many people would have thought brought value. She had the, uh, the looks. She had the youth. Whatever it was about her that made her attractive, not just in Jacob's eyes, but we're told in the Bible that she was fair to look upon, and uh, by contrast, Leah was tender-eyed. Um, so just because Rachel has those things doesn't mean she was any more secure looking at the right things for her security. And so uh, this is what they, they were looking at, to feel valued. Rachel had those things. Leah did not until marriage came. Now they're married, and now Rachel could not have children at the beginning, but Leah was able to give her husband four sons. And remember this, because, I don't know, I think of, oh, Rachel was the right one, and Leah just got in the way. But both girls are victims of their father's scheme. And uh, it's not one sister's fault that the other sister was there. That neither one of them were at fault. It was their father that had caused this problem. But the naming of her children offers us some insight into Leah. She knew God saw her affliction, so she gave her name, her, her first son, a name to reflect that. She knew God heard that she was not favored, so she gave her next son the name to reflect God's actions and how he helped her when she's hurting. And so she felt that number three would join her husband to her heart. But son number four was named Praise because he was because she praised God for the blessings that he had given her. But notice that at the birth of each son, with the exception of number three, Leah gave credit and praise to the Lord for her children. 
I've, I don't know that I've ever heard a Mother's Day sermon on Leah, but you might hear one eventually. Because Leah, uh, not a perfect woman, don't misunderstand me, but when we find a perfect mom in the Bible, we'll, do a, we'll, have, we'll make that the every, every Mother's Day sermon. But Leah was a mother who looked to God and thanked the Lord for her children. Now, after number three, some could have been discouraged by the fact that the first three sons did not push her to be wife number one. But with son number, son number four, she just praised the Lord. Uh, who was son number four? His name was Judah. Now, what's the significance of Judah? Revelation 5.5. 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. There are a couple times in the Bible where Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Judah, this fourth son from Leah, if you might, maybe in your, in your mind without thinking through it or look, looking through it, maybe we thought, oh, certainly Jesus came through the lineage of Rachel. Certainly Jesus came through the lineage of Joseph, uh, that son. Uh, but he didn't. He came through Judah, the fourth son of Joseph or of Jacob and of, Rachel, of uh, Leah. He is the promised seed that would come through uh, this lineage. Now, in chapter 30, verse 1, the Bible says, When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. It's his fault. Naturally, right? Um, And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I also may have children by her. So think of the tension here. Uh, Rachel here, she's in this pain because she's childless. And the, the tension here between the sisters, sisters should be friends. Now, I don't know about, you know, I know my, my wife and her sister are very, very close. They talk all the time. Uh, my girls, but they, they weren't, when we were dating growing up, they weren't as close back then. But as they got older and got married, they, um, they've always loved each other, but now, they, now they're very close. Our girls, um, it's it's. You know, when they live together, it's not so good, right? I mean, it's fine, but there's no major problems. But they fight a lot more when they're living together. But now that they're out at college and they see each other, they see each other a lot, they hang out with groups of friends together. And, and we hope and pray that our girls will be best friends, that they will, they will always be there for each other. That's the way it should be with sisters. But here again, we see what happens when God's plan is not followed. In chapter 29, Leah was jealous of Rachel because she was beautiful and Jacob adored her. He worked 14 years for her. She had to know that he didn't work a single day for her, right? Leah had to know that. Jacob, not one of those 14 years were worked for her. At least not, that's not why he did it. But yet here, so Rachel, Leah's jealous of Rachel. And now in chapter 30, we see Rachel is envious of Leah. Because Leah was given their husband four sons. And she's in a place of envy and despair that she says, listen, if I don't have children, I just want to die. Now, some people, so many people have had such opinions about having children. And some would say, I don't want to have any children. They're going to mess up my body. They're going to mess up my lifestyle. They're going to mess up my bank account. Yeah, they do all that. You know, uh, I, was, I weighed a lot less before we had kids. You know, they've messed up my body. But... And some people, they just have a certain number of children as they see fit. They go, well, this is, this is the right number of kids. This is the ideal number of kids. And so that's all that they have. But Psalm 20, 127 verse 3 says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, 
And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Most of us want wealth and possessions. We want things, but this teaches us that children are better than those things. They are a gift from our God. You say, well, I didn't inherit much from my grandparents or from my parents. And we just get, you have children? And I realize that not everybody's able to have children. But if you're able to have children, that is a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift from God. Now, on the other hand, Rachel was looking for her value and her ability to have children. That, too, was wrong and dangerous. So whether we have zero children or we have ten children, it does not change our value. It does not decide how much our, our, our maker loves us, how much our creator and our savior loves us. Then Rachel and Leah were in competition. Children are not pawns in a game. They're not, they're not pawns for us to try to defeat our, our nemesis. They're also not for us to live our dreams through. And you say, well, I didn't succeed as much in sports, or I never got the opportunity, and so you do everything you can to make them great athletes, putting aside everything else. You didn't get the big fancy wedding, so guess what? Your child's going to get the big fancy wedding. And you go through crazy things trying to live out through them the life that you didn't get. And, and then you think, and I, I want to say to people when they're like that, is, is your life bad because you didn't get those things? Your life is probably better because you didn't. God did not give your children to be used in that purpose. So not surprisingly, Jacob's irritated. He's angered by her complaint. Maybe he felt emasculated because she's blaming him. Um, and I don't know his tone, but it's like he says to her, like, I'm not in God's place. Get off my back, woman. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly how he said it, but he, God is the giver of life, not me. And so then she says in verse 3, that I'll give you Bilhah, my, her, the maid, and she says, and she shall bear upon my knees that I, also, that I may also have children by her. Um, so to bear upon her knees means that Rachel would be waiting there for the baby to be born, and she'd be the first to hold the baby, signifying that this child would be her own, even though she did not bear that child. Now, uh, Rachel was not the first woman to have a child by her handmaid. Her husband's grandmother had done it too, um, Sarah. But that doesn't make it pleasing to God. Having a surrogate, at least in this way, never works out well. We typically see things turn into jealousy. And these plans set the family up for much envy and much, many problems in the years to come. Now look at verse 4. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid, to wife. And Jacob went in unto her. And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore called she his name Dan. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, that I have prevailed. And have I have prevailed, and she called his name Naphtali. Bilhah here is in Rachel, takes Rachel's place. Now the first son by Bilhah is the fifth son overall. His name was Dan. It means judged. Do you already see the differences in names from Leah's children to Rachel's? That Leah is saying, God hath heard me. She's saying, God hath judged me. She felt that God had judged. Now, though, she feels that as, as God has judged her, that God has opened her womb. And so she names her son Dan, meaning judge. The second son from Bilhah is the sixth overall. And his name, Naphtali, means wrestling. And that is because she was so focused on her competition with her sister. She even says... Because I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. Now, I don't know why she felt that she had prevailed. She didn't actually give birth. Um, 
And even if she had, this was still only the second child. This was not the fourth. So, uh, but she felt that she had prevailed over her sister. Verse number 9. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob to wife. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh, and she called his name Gad. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will, come, will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. So Leah here, she's still unfulfilled. She has four, but she sees her sister. She sees that competition. She sees the, the, the score getting closer of being evened out. You know, it's four to two now. It's not four nothing. And so Leah, not getting pregnant anymore. Uh, so she sends in her handmaid to Jacob, uh, to Joseph, to Jacob, I'm sorry. Zilpah had a son. She named him, uh, and she didn't name him, but Leah named him Gad. That word means troop. Now, this is her first and the seventh overall. Now, why would she name him Troop? Well, I think that maybe she's gone away from her, uh, her mature ways, and she's starting to feel the competition. And so maybe she's already got, this is her fifth, if this counts as her own, and she now has a troop. So she's almost rubbing it in, I think, to her sister saying, look how many I have. And then Zilpah bore a second child. The eighth overall to Jacob, and his name was Asher. And Asher means happy. So she was happy having six sons that she could call her own. And she knew all the other women. All the other women are going to look at her and go, man, look at that. She has six sons. And they would see how blessed she was. She was. Maybe she was rubbing things in a little bit more. Then we come to verse 14. And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them into, unto his mother, Leah, then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. And she said unto her, It is a small matter that thou hast taken my husband. And wouldest thou take also my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him, and said, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God hearkened unto Leah. And she conceived and bare Jacob, the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire because I have given, maiden, uh, to my, given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob, the sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued, uh, endued me with, good, with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. So Leah bears, again, mandrakes, uh, they call that the love apple. Uh, they believed, many do, that in, and still do in, in some cultures today, that these fruits would open the womb in conception. Reuben comes back with them, and Rachel asks for some mandrakes. Uh, Leah says, you're gonna, you've already taken my husband. You know, I was there first. You've already taken my husband. Now you want to take my son's mandrakes. And so Rachel says, here, for some mandrakes, you can have our husband tonight. Leah also had the mandrakes, but, under, but we need to understand that it was God that opened the womb of Leah. She had given four sons, and now it, her, her womb was closed. But it wasn't the mandrakes, it was God that opened her womb and gave her, the fifth, her, her fifth son and the ninth overall to Jacob. And she named him Issachar. Issachar means recompense or compensate. 
She saw this son as the compensation for the mandrakes that she gave her sister. Amongst the birth of the children, the tension and the jealousy of the family only increased. Then Leah gave birth to her final son. And Jacob's tenth son she named Zebulun. It means dwelling. She certainly felt that after having now given him six sons of her own, giving her two from her handmaid, that he will finally love her and dwell with her. He probably dwelled with Rachel, but after all these years, Leah is still holding out hope that Jacob will choose her. Now we're reading through this quickly, but we, we understand that, that Reuben had gone out in the field and brought in mandrakes. He was old enough at least to go out and do these things. This is over the course of, of, of several years. A woman desires to be chosen by her husband. And she desires to be chosen by her husband over other things. Certainly over other women. Many women are longing for their husbands to choose them, not even over other women, but over their jobs, over their sports, over their hunting, over anything else that has the affection that she desires. And she sees his love for those things, and she does not see that love given to her. And I believe that's what Leah is seeing here. She desires something, and certainly Rachel desires the same thing, but Jacob cannot give them both what they're supposed to have. And so in verse 21, it simply tells us afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. We're only told that about her right now. Um, and there, there, could have been, there could have been many other daughters born. We're not told. Uh, but oftentimes the Bible only records the daughters when they come into play into the narrative. And we will see her uh, come into that narrative in chapter 34. Now verse 22. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened unto her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Rachel finally does conceive, and again, remember, it was God, not the mandrakes. God heard her. God hearkened to her and opened her womb. After the... After at least 11 other children had born to, been born to her husband, Rachel finally was able to give him a son. The name Joseph means the Lord has added. But if you, if you read, it says that, verse 24, and she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. She named him, he has added, but by his very name and by what she says here, he wasn't enough. Now, she was right. She would have another son. We're not going to cover that tonight. That's still a couple chapters away. She would have another son. He would be the last of the twelve. He'd be the youngest of the twelve sons. But she would, in fact, have that son to complete the twelve tribes. But she saw Joseph as God rewarding her, God giving to her and giving her son. But she said she would have another. Now, we come through all this and say, what's the point of it? Well, one thing I want to cover tonight at the end here is this. Is that, do we take from this demonstration or do we take doctrine? Um, coming back to what we talked about at the very beginning, we talked about polygamy. I, I don't think there's anybody in here who's questioning whether polygamy is okay. But how do, we, how do we tell the world, how do we tell people who are using Scripture to prove that in their mind polygamy is biblical or polygamy is logged by Scripture? How do we, how do we, uh, how do we deal with that? 
So do chapters 29 and 30 give support to the idea that God endorses, or at one time even has endorsed polygamy? Did God endorse it in this time? Now when we read the stories of the patriarchs, we, we, we see that many of them had multiple wives, many other great men in Israel's history. Um, do we condemn these men? Do, well, we condemn their actions. We condemn the polygamy. But you might say, well, wasn't it God's plan for Jacob to have 12 sons? This came up in Sunday school this morning. Um, wasn't it God's plan? Uh, was J.L. wrong? And, uh, and Brian taught our class this morning with Jeff out. And uh, was J.L. wrong in, the, in what she did? Well, and I, and I, I just spoke up, so I'm going to be talking a little bit about this tonight. But just because we have a record of something happening does not mean God endorses every aspect of how they did it. Um, they say, okay, wasn't it God's plan for Jacob to have 12 sons? Yes. But God used the sinful, faithless choices of men to accomplish his purpose. Do any of us doubt that if God gave Rachel to, or if, if Laban gave Rachel to Jacob, and he hadn't made that deal, he hadn't gone back on his deal, and, he gave, and, and God gave Rachel to him, and that was the only wife that he ever had, do any of us doubt that God could have and would have given him 12 sons by that one wife? Absolutely. Or that maybe, in, maybe if, she, if she died younger and then he married again and had other children. Could God have done this following his design? Absolutely. And that's what God, I believe, wants to do. But he uses the sinful free will choices of mankind to accomplish his purposes. Throughout the history of the Bible, skeptics have attempted to use description as prescription. That we read something, and so this is how it's supposed to be done. They take, they, they take something that they see good people do in Scripture, and they say, that's a mandate, that's how we are to do it. One of the, one of, as I was thinking through this in my office this week, I, one, of the, one of the illustrations of that to me is, is letter transfer between churches. Um, people, I've heard people say, you have to transfer letters. That has to be a letter. It has to be. There's. There we have an example of churches transferring letters, and actually they didn't, do, they didn't even do it like we do it now. Now you send a letter in the mail, and you say, you know, hey, this person has joined our church, and we we want to just let you know or ask you if they if you would grant their letter is is the terminology that's used. And the reason for that is we want to know um, if somebody's coming to our church, are they under discipline from that other church? And by the way, if they're under discipline. Biblical discipline, I say biblical discipline because sometimes churches don't do it biblically. But if they're under biblical discipline from another church, I have at times told people, you need to go back to your church and get right before you come here. Guess what? They don't come here. It wasn't that much of God's will for them to join our church. And so uh, we say, well, you know, we want you to go back and get right with that church and then we will accept your letter. Now, does that mean that we have to send letters? There's no mandate in Scripture. We have example. I think there's wisdom in seeing how things were done in the Bible and saying, okay, because of that, we're going to do it this way. But we cannot make it a mandate. We've got to be careful not to take description and use it as prescription, that this is the way it must be done. Just, about, just because the Bible tells us that someone did something does not make it an endorsement of that person's actions. And we can't take an isolated story in Scripture and build a doctrine on it, although many people have. Well, this is the way it's supposed to be done. We've heard people, I, I've told you the story, but years ago, my wife and, and my wife and another lady were on visitation, and they went to go see a lady. Well, she wasn't home, and the, and the I don't know, brother was there or something, and 
He got talking about deacons, how there, there has to be seven deacons. It's, it's, that's the right way to do it because the church at Jerusalem had seven deacons. Now, that's not prescription. That's description. And much of what many churches do, probably much of what we do, is built on description, not prescription. It's okay as long as we don't make it into prescription or we don't make it into mandate. Um, now, we may wonder, if God's against it, then why doesn't he condemn each sinful decision? Another one that came up in Sunday school this morning was Rahab in, in that similar talk. Was Rahab wrong? Did Rahab accomplish God's will? Did she do it in the right way? Um, just because God does not condemn that person's actions doesn't mean that they are correct act- actions. The Bible is historical. Uh, much of the Bible is historical. The pages are full of decisions that contrast the plan of God. So how do we determine? How do we say, was J.L. right? Was Rahab right? Was Joseph or was Jacob right? Was Abraham right? Was David right? How do we, how do we determine those things when the Bible doesn't tell us in that instance? Well, let me, let me remind you something. Remember last Sunday morning's sermon uh, on marriage and divorce? Uh, the Pharisees came to Jesus there asking him about divorce and the law of Moses. Jesus, when they asked him, he completely bypassed the law. And he goes back to the beginning. He goes back and he gives us a quote basically of two verses. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That's where Jesus begins. Then he goes to Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Therefore shall a man... Leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Jesus, he's asked a question about the law. Now, was the law correct? Absolutely. Did they misunderstand the law? They did. Okay? They ask a question about the law. To them, because Moses said it, it was a part of the law. But just because Moses said it doesn't mean it was a part of the law. Um, But that's the way that they saw it. So Jesus goes back past them. He doesn't care What Moses said necessarily, he cares about Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. We can't build biblical doctrines on the obscurity of details in a historical narrative, but we must build them on the context of the Bible. So you can't go to Genesis chapter 29 and Genesis chapter 30 and say, See, Jacob accomplished God's will with four different women, so God must have been pleased with it. You see, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God does not just give us an example of marriage, but there he gives us the design and the function of marriage. So since the actions of Jacob and his family in our our text tonight do not line up with God's design and function, from the beginning we can clearly see that they were in error. Now, is God's will going to be accomplished? Was he going to bring about the 12 tribes? Was he going to bring about the Messiah through that, that tribe of Judah? Absolutely But he did it in spite of man's decisions, not because of man's decisions. He accomplished his purposes in spite of the hard hearts of men. And so we we, we might think, what what shall we do? We might think, hey, you know what? God, they made mistakes. And sometimes we feel like we we made a mistake. Maybe there's a decision and it's a life-changing decision that's happened in your life and you go... Man, God can never use me again. God can use the failures. God can use the uh, missteps of his people to accomplish his will. Now, I would much rather stand before God and say, Lord, I, I, you know, I had one wife 
I had three children. And I tried to do things your way. Lord, I, I did this. I believed this. I went to church. I, I, I tried to be faithful to you. I tried, I tried to pastor well. I tried to do all these things. I'd rather go to him and say, Lord, I tried to do it right. I know I didn't do it all right, but I tried to do it right. Then to go to him and say, well, God, I figured it didn't matter because you can use my mistakes anyway. We ought to strive to do things according to God's will. Go back to Genesis. Go back to the beginning of where God teaches us, not just an example of a situation, but God teaches us the, the principles that, that uh, determine how we handle that situation. And, and understand that Scripture is historical. We can learn from it. But we need to be able to look at this and say, okay, taking Genesis 1 and 2 into account, how does that apply in Genesis chapter 29 and chapter 30? They did it wrong, but God still accomplished his purposes. And listen, in your life, if you've done it wrong, say, I, I've messed things up. Okay, move on. Repent, move on. God can still use you. God can still do great things. He can still accomplish his purposes and his plans through your life. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.